This is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast, and I'm super glad that you're here. We provide reflection and connection for the high-achieving woman. So obviously, the podcast episode you're listening to by yourself. So the connection you can find at badasswomenscouncil.community. Come on in and join us. All right, here we go. I'm not coming down. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? It's going really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to talk with you. I found you on TikTok where my my tagline is where where all greatness now lives in the world. Yes. On TikTok. Yes, that's where the majority of people find me. So, <laughs> well, in the way that I found you was God's perfect timing. I was I was in a four and a half year on and off again weird kind of relationship. And I watched a video that you did on dismissive avoidant attachment style. And yes. it was it, what TikTok, it was a three-minute video. And I watched it easily five times the first time, just saying to myself, holy crap, that's it. Holy crap. That's it. Right. And then yeah. I sent it to all my friends and I said, this is it. Right. And they're like, yeah, that's it. And I'm like, I got to stop doing this. They're like, yeah, probably. And that, and it totally changed my, a three minute video with really rich information has now changed my life. So thank wow. you. You're very welcome. And I tell people like, once you learn about attachment style, so much about your relationships and your life in general makes sense. It's really solid science. Absolutely. So now I should give a little bit of the credibility stuff. So you actually have a PhD in experimental psychology. You're an associate professor um, for a PhD program at a, a university. And you have your own relationship concierge business. Yes, I, I do. I do all of those things. <laughs> the sound of that. It's called the, the Woman Decoded. Tell us about you, how this all played out. What we do here is we tell stories. Tell us your story. Well, I have a doozy of a story. So, <laughs> um, so I was married in 2008 and I have to give sort of a spoiler alert to the story up front. My ex-husband passed away in 2020. So when I speak about him, I want to honor him as a human being and just the fact that he's He's not here to defend himself, right? So I, I try to be really careful in what I say and, and honoring him um, in his death. So to just put things in really general terms, it was a really, really bad marriage. There was a lot of conflict. There was um, infidelity. There was just a lot of really, really difficult circumstances. And I really tried to the best of my ability to make it work over and over and over again. We have two little girls. They are now 11 and five, but it just couldn't make it work for a variety of reasons. And so I was not very emotionally healthy. And, you know, they say the doctors make the worst patients. And that's so true. It really is so true. When it's your own life, you know, you can have a whole body of knowledge in your bank, right? But putting it to use when you're so close to the situation, when you're in the situation, 
is not easy. And so I knew these things. I knew the dynamic between us. I knew his issues. I knew my issues. But it was just, you're so, you, you can be so emotionally exhausted. And so in the midst of raising kids and working and doing all the things that you just don't know how to do the healing work and self-correct. And even if you do the healing work, you can't control someone else. You can only control yourself. And so the ending of our marriage was definitely the right choice for me. And so we we got a divorce. He battled addiction. There were some addiction issues. And so we had sort of a rough go of the two years that we were divorced, sort of battling in family court, those kinds of things. I kind of spent all of my money I had in family court. And then he ended up passing away from his addictions in 2020. And so during that time, um, the two years that we were apart, I poured myself into trying to do a lot of psychological healing in therapy on my own. And then when he died, one month after he died or one month before he died, my mom, who is like the closest person to me um, and to my girls was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so I became her caregiver. And then at that same time, I had been dating somebody for a pretty significant period of time after my divorce. And that relationship ended at that same time. And so I had these kind of three big whammies, boom, 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 death of my ex, ending of a relationship, mom being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and becoming her caretaker. And then shortly after that, you know, I, of course I prayed like God, no more. I can't take it anymore. I woke up with a disabling form of vestibular migraine, which was like a 24 seven disabling condition because my nervous system had just collapsed. And relational stress, I have learned, is sort of the number one factor that causes our bodies to to shut down and to become sort of stuck in fight or flight. And I know that as a social psychologist and as a health psychologist, I have those two concentration areas. And so like my nervous system had just literally taken such a beating that it was done for. And vestibular migraine is really a disease of a malfunctioning nervous system. And so, of course, you know, I was like, okay, I have to find a way to heal. I can barely function. I can barely do my job. I can barely take care of my kids. What do I do? And so I actually had an acquaintance that found me on Facebook and she led me to this ministry called Be In Health. And I got the spiritual side of things straightened out. And that allowed me to do the healing that I needed to do to then be able to work on the psychological stuff. So I, you know, I truly believe we're spirit beings first. I got the spiritual stuff, you know, my relationship with Jesus and that healed me enough to do the psychological work that then made a whole lot more sense when you, you take it from first from a spiritual perspective. So I did the psychological work and um, I figured so much more out about healing and about, you know, attachment healing um, and really being able to become securely attached, which was my goal, you know, from, from square one, I just didn't know how to get there. Um, And God brought me a ton of resources. And so I just started, you know, I had dreamed of sort of like getting out what I had learned for so long, but I had to master it in practice before I could get it out there. And so I started mastering it in my own life. I took a huge break from dating. And then when I was ready to start dating, I put it into practice. And probably within two months, I met my now fiance, who is very securely attached. And we have an amazing relationship. Um, He's an amazing uh, bonus dad to my two girls. And I'm getting married in June. 
Um, And I couldn't think of a, you know, a happier ending to this story, but you know, I mean, all the credit goes to God. He redeemed, you know, all the years that the locust stole from me. So when I get out there and I offer my coaching, I'm not shy about my faith and I'm not shy about what I know, you know, psychologically. And so I offer clients both perspectives if they want it, right? I'm like, you know, I'm not here to push my my beliefs, my spiritual beliefs on anybody. But if if they, you know, say, I heard you talk about this on TikTok, sort of the Christian side of things, you know, if they want that perspective, I, you know, I'm happy to give it to them as well. But most of my focus is on sort of the psychological healing because that's what most people identify with. So I'm the same way with my coaching practice. I will say, do we want to talk about the the spiritual side of this or the neuroscience side of this in, in terms of behaviors and things that that are happening with them? And I'm like you, it's it's all connected. And but but God first is the way that it worked for me, healing from my 18 year marriage as well. And now my ex husband and I are good friends, and we we do great things together. And but I couldn't have done that without spending every single morning praying. Bible and, and just trying to figure out how, how me just trying right. to figure out me. And then it all, you're right. It all makes sense after that. And and your message is so urgent, timely. I use a construct in the book. I just launched about business is human. Most of my listeners are career women. And in business, we're in this control measure, optimize mindset, go, go, go produce, produce, produce. And we've we've just completely dismissed our human needs, which are personal, emotional, and social. And when we do that, when we emotionally disconnect, or when we we just deal with that stress day after day, your body eventually will shut down. I Mine was two months of pneumonia where I couldn't leave the house because I was so sick. So the connection is very, very real. Oh, it is very, very real. And one of the things that I learned in my journey was, and I knew this as a health psychologist, it's like, I knew this, right? Like, it's like, I've had so much training in this area, but our bodies will always deem emotions as more scary, as scarier, I should say, than any physical health problem that we have. So our bodies go through and our brains go to great lengths to protect us from emotions that they deem unsafe. And so if you have emotions that you have not fully processed, which all of us do because we have little T traumas, some of us have big T traumas, right? Your body will feel it for you. If you choose to either consciously or unconsciously repress your feelings and not fully process those through, the body will feel it for you. And that's exactly what happened with my vestibular migraine. It was like, hey, you have so many emotions that are so unsafe. We can't, we can't touch those right now because if you go through those, it's going to kill you, right? To confront all those and process those through. So here's a whole bunch of dizziness and head pain and blurry vision that will distract you from really getting into your feelings and processes. So, wow. So the relationship side of things. So when you took all of this, you started healing, you went, you've got all of this knowledge now around relationships. What was the shift that you went from the academic aspect of things to woman decoded? What was that process like? Right. Well, it was like, I just, God was saying like, you have all the pieces to the puzzle. Now you have the human experience of being very insecurely attached being in a horrible relationship 
you know, lots of trauma and you truly healed from all of those things. And so you can merge what you know from the science and your human experience. And that's going to allow you to really connect with people. I mean, I really truly felt like that was the calling. And so I haven't, I didn't have any business knowledge. I was like, I know that I want to get this out there. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start putting this out there on TikTok and see where it goes. And sort of overnight had like a hundred thousand followers. And I was like, okay, that's I when also when you know, God's in it. Yeah. <laughs> when, and I was like, the content was great, but also God was like, boop, see, right. right. <laughs> yeah. And so then it was like, okay, it's time to make this a legit business. So I got some people who had some business knowledge and, um, and, and knowledge in other areas of running business and marketing and stuff that I did not have. And we kind of came together as a team and we started this and I still, you know, I give a hundred It's funny that you mentioned sort of being a business owner and all the stress, because I still give a hundred percent to my day job. You know, they come first, I'm, you know, contractually bound to them first. And so this is still sort of in my spare time. <laughs> and I'm realizing there may have to be more of me because of the amount that we're growing. And I want to be able to, to serve both masters. <laughs> I was going to say, or there could be a shift to where your calling is more about the woman decoded and less be. about the university. Who knows? I don't know. Right. I just, um, where I work, my day job is there. It's a wonderful place to work. It truly is. I've been treated so wonderfully there and they are amazing people. And I tr truly do enjoy that job as well. And so we'll just have to see, we'll just have to see where it goes. And so I love that you're focused on relationships because when we talk about emotions the good the challenging the ugly oftentimes those emotions are attached to pardon the pun to where you're going with attachment styles but attached to a relationship of some sort whether it's parental or loved ones whatever you really hone in on this in a way that like you said your videos are so relatable and so I, everybody needs to go follow you right now on, on TikTok, number one, Women Decoded. But what was the attachment style theory? Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that because that's the, the basis of your practice, right? Yes, it is. I, I completely coach from the lens of attachment science. So attachment theory was developed in 1969 by John Bowlby. It was later developed and extended by Mary Ainsworth. And there have been literally thousands of empirical studies on attachment theory over the course of the last, you know, 40, 50 years. And so it's really solid empirical science. And basically what attachment theory is, is an idea that when we are little children, literally from the ages of zero to five, the interactions that we have with our caregivers are extremely influential. And those interactions can form subconscious imprints within us, right? Of sort of how do we relate with people? How are relationships supposed to go? And we can have great parents that do the best they can, but most people are insecurely attached. And so they pass on sort of those insecure traits to their children and how they relate with their children and the modeling, right? And, and the relationship dynamic between caregiver and child. And so when it comes to psychology, I always say it's not good to put people in a box because people are so different and everything's on a spectrum. And attachment theory to some degree is also on a spectrum. But of all of the theories that I've ever learned about and all of my training, attachment theory really does a great job of putting people into one of four boxes. 
And I, again, like I say, once people learn about this, they're like, oh my goodness, this explains so much about you my life. You can't unsee it once you look you can't at it. You're like, oh my gosh. No. Yeah. Oh, you can't. Right. And so it's, it's baffling to me that not more people aren't talking about it, that therapists don't use it as often as they should. And as far as I know, I'm one of the only coaches that does one-on-one work through the attachment lens. A lot of coaches out there just give really generic coaching advice and relationship advice. And it's, it's just not helpful in the long run to create a stable, lasting, healthy relationship. So basically when we form an attachment style, right, this is sort of like the roadmap of like what a relationship is supposed to look like. And so what can happen is that two people with different attachment styles get into a relationship and they're looking at two totally different maps to get to the same destination. And so they're trying to navigate to this destination of, of happiness and, and bliss in a relationship, right? And they're looking at each other and one person's on highway 65 and another person is on like state route 24 and they have no idea why the other person is in a different place than they are. And they're approaching, you know, they're describing where they're going. And the other person's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. (laughs) Right. That's what it's like to be with somebody that has an entirely different romantic attachment style. The, The expectations of how people are supposed to relate to each other, how people are supposed to deal with conflict, how much space people should take in a relationship you know what the core needs are and how those needs are shown and fulfilled right and and how we reciprocate with other people all of those things are predicted very precisely by a person's attachment style and i love that you said supposed to because we believe if our way of the way that we believe is the way it is right, right. so right. we just that's, isn't that the way everybody sees it kind of process, right? Right. And so when you get somebody like an anxiously attached person with an avoidantly attached person, they don't understand each other at all, at all. It just, it's like, how can you behave this way? Right? Like this doesn't make any sense. If you say you love me, why are you acting X, Y, and Z way? And to them, it just, it's baffling, right? It's like, because they'd have totally different roadmaps. They're in two different destinations trying to get to the same place. What are the four styles? The four styles are dismissive avoidant, fearful avoidant, anxious, preoccupied, and secure. And research is showing that as the generations come up, there are fewer and fewer securely attached people sort of coming up and growing up. And so, and especially if you're divorced and you're over the age of like 35, you're looking literally at 85 to 90% of the dating market having an insecure attachment style. Girl, preach. (laughs) (laughs) Not a very uplifting and motivating statement, but a fact for me, but that's where I just trust that God's going to work all that out for me. So I'm not going to stress about it. But I also have a 20-year-old daughter and a 24-year-old son who are both dating. And it really is heartbreaking some of the challenges that they deal with. My son will come home from a a date and say, well, she's not on any particular kind of medication. She's not a cutter. She's not a, like he literally will go through the diagnosis that he's dealt with in dating for the last, you know, however many years he's been dating and he's just grown accustomed to, there's this weeding process of how bad is it? Yeah, it's rough out there. (laughs) It's rough out there. And so one of the bright spots, though, 
is that once you do the healing and you are securely attached, securely attached people are like magnets for each other. They are attract and are attracted to other securely attached people. That's why the people who are securely attached, they find each other and they stay married. <laughs> right. Like, Don't um, make me it, go out there again. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, they are, it's not a coincidence statistically that the people that are still married are more likely to be securely attached, right? Because they they can resolve conflict. One of the ways an attachment wounds really come out is they're in conflict. So they can resolve their issues and they can stay together. But attachment healing is, is work that can be done. It's, it's, it's work that can be done. What are some things that you can share with our listeners that can, that can start some of that healing process, no matter where they, they sit, if they're off of the, this one of the, they were not in the secure attachment style, but right. they're struggling with some of the other stuff. What's what right. does healing look and feel like? Um, first, it's it, the very first step is knowledge, right? Like understanding what your attachment style is. And that attachment style can point you to, there's a lot of great science out there, what your wounds are, what your subconscious imprints are that are that get triggered. And then what is the behavior after those triggers? What does it generally look like? And a lot of those things aren't very healthy, right? And so if you have the knowledge, first of all, or okay, like here are my subconscious wounds and triggers, then you can start to identify those and you can start picking those apart. What do those things really mean, right? Is it, am I giving meaning to something and that's incorrect? Am I, do I have a need that's going unmet that I need to try to meet myself? And meeting our own needs and understanding our triggers is like, is really the first step. Meeting our own needs. Let's underscore that because our audience is a bunch of really successful, high achieving women who have grown accustomed to meeting everyone else's needs first a lot of times. And we're, we're part of the message of this podcast is to bring you back in reflection to say, hold on, we got to look in the mirror first and say, what do I need? So I want to underscore what you just said there is meeting our needs first. Can you give us an example, maybe from some of your clients, obviously without using their, their names of, of where they've identified their wounds and their triggers? What does that sound like? So people can start to recognize it. So the majority of my clients, as you might guess, if you know anything about attachment style, are the anxious preoccupieds because they are the ones that are more in touch with their feelings. They're huge feelers. They want to understand themselves. I have one dismiss, truly dismissive avoidant client who wants to try to change his attachment style. Um, but And then I have, I have a lot of fearful avoidance, um, but most of them lean anxious. And so for those sort of on the anxious side of the spectrum, they have a lot of needs, a lot of needs, more than the dismissive avoidant, for sure. And a lot of those needs look like quality time spent with other people. A lot of those needs look like... Um, under, an emotional understanding and emotional support, right? They look like physical self-care, not being run down physically, you know, having, you know, like in a relationship that looks a lot like physical touch outside of a relationship, it looks like physical self-care, exercise, rest, you know, comfort items, just things that make you, you know, can calm down your physical senses and calm your nervous system down. But the problem with anxious attachment is that they're, they have never learned to soothe themselves. 
they soothe through other people. And so when other people are unavailable to help them soothe, right, any stress or anxiety in their life, they don't know what to do. And the stress and and the anxiety gets worse. And so they can wear out their friends a little bit. They can emotionally dump on people and wear out other people in their lives, in their relationships. They can be overly, uh, you know, um, reliant on the other person to sort of meet all of their needs. And they don't know what it looks like to start to meet some of those needs and be okay and learn some of those self-soothing techniques. And so a lot of the work that I do with clients that are anxious that are either in an unhappy relationship because of their anxiety and or whatnot, or they're single and they're like, I don't want to be this way anymore. One of the first things we do is work on, okay, what identifying, first of all, what are your needs, right? And that is largely predictive of, you know, by attachment style, but we're all individuals too. And so we do a lot of exploration around what are your needs? And then what does it look like to start meeting those on your own? And how does that feel? And getting more comfortable with that over time. That message of what are your needs is one that has been ignored for decades. I I often talk about our education system even didn't acknowledge our emotional and personal needs. You know, you had to you had to, you know, helping was cheating. You had to raise your hand to have an opinion. It was all about comparison and, and competition. And so even asking, what do I need is a new behavior for really successful adults, I find. Right. right. And a lot of people, especially those on the avoidant side, they have no idea what their needs are because they've been so hyper independent and, and unlike the anxious, they hyper self soothe. So they soothe through themselves. They don't know how to use other people for support. And so they're so used to, I can only rely on myself. I can only rely on myself. And they squash their needs down. That's our audience. I would say the majority of our listeners, I immediately started to identify with my previously not so healed self. Um, And and that fierce independence Mm -hmm. is pretty rampant through our listeners. So, so what do we do? What do they do? Right. Well, you have to start feeling if you're avoidant (laughs) and if you're, I just want to pause, hold on. All (laughs) of my clients that are listening right now, could you please turn down the radio or whatever you're doing and, and listen, because this is, I'm constantly saying your emotions matter. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh yes. Keep going. So whether or not you're, you're a fearful avoidant who really leans dismissive or you're a true dismissive avoidant, there are some key differences there, but if you hang out on the avoidant side of the attachment spectrum, you probably can't even verbalize what your needs are because you have been taught to place such high importance on achievement and independence that that trumps everything else, okay? And that probably is the majority of your listeners. If they're high-achieving women, they're either falling apart emotionally, trying to keep it all together if they're on the anxious side or they're swallowing it, their needs and stuffing them down and not getting in touch with their feelings and just like bulldozing ahead, right? And either way, that's not a great way to place to be. And so the very first step, if somebody is out of touch with what their needs are, is to feel your feelings. I actually did a TikTok on that and I got so many comments Because feelings are somatic, physical body experiences. They are not thoughts in your head. 
Thoughts in your head are not feelings. The reason they are called feelings is because you feel them. And I had so many people comment, I have not felt my feelings in a decade or more. I read the comments on that post because I was so excited that you put it out there and it was, it's it's startling. Right. And so you got to force yourself to feel. And if you've got to put on the saddest song in the world and sit in a room and reflect on all the horrible things that happened to you in your life, then do it, do it in a safe space and let those feelings come out of your physical body. Because I promise you, you are living in a subtle state of fight or flight, whether you believe it or not, or understand it or not in an attempt to keep those feelings down. Right. And And your body will feel it eventually. And for those that are in big T trauma, the idea of feeling those is petrifying. It is. And I would definitely recommend for people who have had big T trauma to get a good therapist that can guide them through the experience of getting in touch with those feelings. Because when you do, it is, it's a, it's a ride. I'm telling you, Um, but even anxious people they are huge feelers and they feel their feelings, but they also search out anything they can to avoid feeling their feelings. And then that's mainly through relationships. So they jump from one relationship to another relationship oh. to another relationship to sort of band-aid the feel than any negative feelings that they have because they, 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 they sued through others. So they think that, you know, if I can get into a new relationship, like that makes me I feel all great. Feel that last and one. I won't have to feel that last one. Right. Timely, just last night, my daughter messaged me and said she's been seeing this guy when they were long distance dating and they just had the the real talk about what summer's going to be like. He's going to be working six days a week. She's going to be working five. And it's probably going to be impossible for them to even see each other this this summer. And, and so they decided it was probably best not to see each other, which I is a very mature it is. conversation to have. I was really proud right. of her. And she said, mom, I'm sad. Even though she had told me the last two conversations, she didn't know if it was going to work out. And I said, well, honey, I, I, I know that's because you're a beautiful human who feels her emotions. It's okay to be sad. Like let that sadness be a part of the experience. There's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with that. No, nothing at all. You know, that's just, I always say the depth of our sadness when a relationship ends is just, you know, representative of how the depth of our feelings for that person. Right. Right. So give us some more of this. How do we feel? Because it's it's that cumbersome and challenging. And and people will say to me, well, I I don't know how to do that. I've dismissed Mm -hmm. my feelings for so long. Give us some more of the Mm -hmm. how to's. Um, I really love Nicole Sachs. She has a journaling method of sort of feeling your feelings And it is a, it's unlike anything that I had ever come across before. And I used some of her methods of journaling. She has, it's called journal speak. And it's really like allowing yourself to be unfiltered in your journaling. And that helped me a lot identify like, oh, these were actually, these experiences that like I could reflect on cognitively actually were being stored as trauma in me. And I needed to reconcile those things. I needed to rewrite this. I needed to bring them to the surface and rewrite the story as grown up Sarah, because little child Sarah was storing those feelings and big adult grown up Sarah with all of her wisdom needed to, to bring that to light and rewrite the story and process it through. So I, I, you know, I really loved her method of doing things. And then 
you know, but I, I mean, I have to admit the actual healing, it was great to bring all those things to light, but the actual healing was through my relationship with God and scripture and really just saying, okay, what does God have to say about me and my life and how I was made and how I was formed and how he views me? And what does he say about trusting him? And if, and, and finally fully experiencing his love and trusting him was just the biggest game changer for me to actually process some of those things without going crazy. Cause you know, my, my childhood was no, um, easy ride either. So, and I love that when you get into that trusting relationship with God, that it is personal, you start to realize that the reason you haven't trusted maybe in the past is because it was too big to think that any human could handle it. Right. Absolutely. Yourself or someone else. And when you can put it into the context of he could do all things, then it, then it finally felt to me like something big enough to handle the hurt. Um, right. And, and I remember sort of being at the height of everything being awful and, and just being so sick with vestibular migraine and really trying to pour into God and, you know, hanging on to that. He works out all things for our good. He works out all things for our good. And I didn't see it then. I just had to say, okay, I trust you. I trust I'm putting my trust in you now. And I know you're going to work all this out for your good. Not only did he heal my vestibular migraine, but my mom is cancer-free in remission from pancreatic cancer, which almost never happens, right? Never happens. She's completely in remission has been for a year and a half. And uh, prognosis for her looks really, really great, which is it's like a miracle. Praise you know? God. And it is a miracle. Yeah, it is a miracle. Nothing wrong with and that. <laughs> I have met this just amazing human being, like a man that I couldn't even have drawn up on paper, you know, to be this good is the man I'm going to marry. He's my best friend. He is everything I've never experienced in a relationship before. All of the safety, all of the, you know, providing, protecting, you know, he's a spiritual covering. His faith is really strong. And, and, you know, God is just, it's like, I told you, you know, I, I, for those that love and trust me, that truly love me and truly put their trust in me, I will redeem and, and give you back the years that the the locust stole from me. Yeah. On my timeline. Right. And that's where we get hung up. Oh, yes. (laughs) That one is a little more challenging than some of the others for me. Yes. That story is such an inspiration. What we haven't talked about, we just met in real life today is my dad was just diagnosed with cancer um, on February the 15th in the middle of launching my book and all this big, beautiful dreams coming true that got dropped in the middle of it. So, and I'm such a faith filled person that I just went into prayer mode. I didn't go into panic mode. I just said, well, we'll just give this to God because he's done such a great job with everything else I've given to him. Right. And, um, that's, that's where we are. But your story today is affirming and inspiring to me to be reminded that uh, that's the right, that's the right way to go. Right. I think we try so hard to have control over every aspect of our life. And I'll quote Nicole Sachs here because I'm not going to, I'm not going to steal her, her catchphrases, but it's fake control. It's really fake control. Like we can clean our house. We can, you know, go grocery shopping. We can, you know, organize things. We can do all these things to try to make ourselves feel better. It's fake control. Like the big things in this life, we don't have any control over. 
I just released a book last month and uh, there's an entire section about the difference between connection and control and that you really don't have nearly as much control as you think you do. So it's better to just connect. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's what God wants for us. He strives for connection because that's how he parents us. Right. So we have to, I, I've really learned that in life, it's just really better to, to be loving and to be loved than to be right. Yeah. And you know, kind of accepting differences has been a huge key to success and becoming securely attached. I love that. And being in a relationship with someone else. Oh, I, I wish you could just, let's just do a series. Like you come on every week and we'll I would love it. I would absolutely <laughs> love it. We are actually getting ready to start our own podcast. Um, so we have no idea what we're doing though with that. So it is going to be a learning process, but we have all the equipment. We have the knowledge in our heads and we just, we're going to put stuff out there because I think, you know, I can only do so much in three minutes on TikTok. <laughs> and I have some resources for you that might be able to help okay. you with this podcast thing. So yeah, I'll send absolutely. those to you after we're done. I love that. So thank you for, for being here and for sharing your story and being vulnerable with it. And that's, that's how we help each other heal and and yeah. know that we're okay because we're not the only right. ones that are going through these things. That's right. And my best friend says, you know, life traumatizes us all. None of us get out without it. And when you really think about it, that's so true. Everybody loses somebody they love, whether, you know, through death or divorce or, you know, other types of trauma. I mean, it's, none of us get out without it. And that's so what I just posted this week. Cope. We've all got something. I work with yeah. CEOs and amazing leaders and they have lots of money and lots of influence and they all have something. Right. Some and thing they've gone through. Yeah. Well, you know, you can you can send them my way. <laughs> Girl, you are on I want to share it. Absolutely. I want to share it. I want to share it with the world because it's, you know, there's so much hope for healing even just psychologically, like if the spiritual stuff, if that's not your gig, okay. But, you know, psychologically, there's so much work that can be done. And once you are securely attached, it, it just, it, it affects business relationships. It affects relationships with children, parents, not just romantic relationships. Attachment style comes out in all relationships with other people. Yeah. And I think that's the the work that we're sitting here in this in, in, in this time to do is is talk about those things so that we can heal for the future generation. So absolutely. I'm here for it. You're awesome. Thanks for being oh, here. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'll keep making TikToks at the woman decoded so people can follow me there. Absolutely. And all of this will be in the links of the show notes so everybody can get to you. Thank you so much. When I work with my clients, I want them to discover their unique personal story so they can then stand tall in that story and live a life full of soul and emotions and their natural curiosity about their unique gifts, talents, and abilities so they can live a thriving life because our brains are hardwired for stories and our brain wants us to thrive. So I help my clients tap into that. And I also have a sponsor for this podcast called Storybook, which is a unique and innovative platform that helps you bring your company stories to life. 
by tapping into the emotional flow and the natural curiosity that we have about your products and services. So check them out. You can go to my website, wethrive.live, click on the Stand Tall in Your Story link and see the kind of work they're doing for us or go to their site, cantaloupe.tv and there's hundreds of stories there that they've created that you can experience. Check them out. We're so grateful to work with them and for them to sponsor the podcast. And please join the online community at badasswomenscouncil.community where we can continue the conversation and you can meet other badass high achievers like you. Thanks so much. Make it a great day. If you like the music for the podcast, go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your music and look up Cameron Hessian Clouds. You can download the full song there. He's got some other stuff out there as well. And y'all, he's my son. It'd be great if you'd go and download some of his stuff. I'm not coming down. I never left it on the ground. I'm not-